You're listening to Different Things Can Be Sad. Welcome to Different Things Can Be Sad, where it's cool to care about legislature and little woman. I'm Yasmin Lomax. And I'm Micah Hahn. And we are your hosts of Different Things Can Be Sad, the politics and pop culture podcast that comes to you on a monthly basis. So I guess it's fair to ask, Micah, what have you been up to this month? Um, school, <laughs> period. Having a, Yes, having a lot of fun, um, cafe hopping, uh, having a lot of dinner parties with wine. You adult? I am That's an adult who is still in school. Um, a mild adult. A mild then. adult, yes. Um, that's mild basically adult. been my month, being a mild adult. How about you? Very good. Uh, I believe since the last time we touched base on the pod, I have moved to New York. I don't believe I lived here last time. Yeah, no, because you moved at the beginning of November. Yeah, I think last time I was reporting from either austin texas or kensington new hampshire i think it was but, new hampshire mm-mm. this time the report comes from queens new york where Ooh. i now live yay uh definitely the reunion is happening guys i don't want to speak it too is. soon but the next one in your ear holes is probably going to be reunion uh so yes the past month november has been me settling into life in nyc i think i have ticked off the big new york moments i have seen an exploded fire hydrant and i saw a bodega cat so yeah might as well just call it a day you, you know? might as well go I'm home now here. yeah that's it really uh yet to cry on the subway so mm. hopefully, hopefully i have done that show. there you go you have well yeah. done i know hmm. i'll just uh i'll pencil <laughs> in a mental breakdown for december just so i can Kick it off the bucket list. Have you been reading, watching, or listening to anything this month, Micah? Um, with all your schooling? With all my schooling. I haven't mm-hmm. read anything. I haven't finished a book for fun this month. Mm-hmm. Um, this mm-hmm. has made me think a lot about what we constitute as reading, especially because like, if you're on Goodreads, the coolest social media website – you can partake in the Goodreads challenge where you like. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yes. So you see how many bo- books you want to read and you try and do that. Um, and like I read at least two hours a day, seven days a week, usually more. None of wow. it is something I can log on my Goodreads and that makes me a little bit sad. But hmm. I will have read something by our January episode. Hopefully 2020 is the year Micah starts reading again. Uh, yes, potentially. I, I get that point, though. I think sometimes you can re- read a really good even article that you just want to talk about or got a lot of value mm-hmm. from. So I understand where you're coming from. I similarly feel that I am in a bit of a reading rut lately. Uh, there hasn't been anything that I've been absolutely crazy about, and I haven't been working my way through books as fast as I had previously been. But I did really enjoy a book called One Day in December by Josie Silver, which was recommended by my friend Maddie a long, long time ago when I finally got around <laughs> nice. to reading. It is similar to Jill Santopolo's The Light We Lost, which I believe I mentioned in our September I episode. So. Um, yeah. So basically it's about star-crossed lovers and it takes place over many years, but uh, this time it's set in London and it centers on two characters called Laurie and Jack. It's 
definitely not the best written thing I've ever <laughs> read. And a lot of it is very unrealistic and frustrating, but it is very enjoyable. I think I read it all in like maybe one night. I just find with those um, stories that are set over a, a very long period of time, I tend to chew through them quite mm-hmm. quickly. So I'll give that one a thumbs up. Have you watched anything this month? Um, I have. I took a study break mm-hmm. and went to the movies and saw Parasite, which is a movie that everyone oh. has been talking about. Absolutely. Um, it's a Korean movie directed by Bong Joon-ho. Um, it is about class and it is good. And that is all I will tell you because going into the movie blind without even watching the trailer is the way to do it. It is fantastic. What do you mean by class as in, as in like classes upper, in like middle, lower? yes as in like marxist classes uh, um okay i was wondering if maybe you went like English, no oh science, yeah no 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 um upper middle lower <laughs> um right. economic class it's mm. it's amazing um definitely go watch it with friends and then discuss afterwards I did see a very funny i believe overheard in new york uh, instagram mm-hmm. I think overheard of the IFC and it was some guy going into Parasite and like two minutes in being like, wait, is this movie all in Korean? (laughs) We probably should point that out for people. Which is also how I felt when I went to see The Irishman this month. I was similarly blindsided. (laughs) Um, So it's a Netflix movie and it is coming out on Netflix or will be out very, very soon. Mm -hmm. And... I got to see it at the Belasco Theater here in New York, which is super, super beautiful. Mm-hmm. It makes it a very special viewing experience. And they had really jazzed the place up. They had like themed cocktails and old foam boots and newspapers written about the movie. And yeah, I was the idiot who did not realize that it was a gangster movie before going to see nice. it. And this isn't a spoiler, but somebody does get shot in the head in the first, like, scene. And I audibly gasped and then was informed that it was going to be three and a half hours of covering my eyes. Um, So you don't have to do the same thing. Um, The plot of it is, basically, it is a Martin Martin Scorsese. 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 Um, Sorry, I've only seen his work as a voice in Shark Tale, so I'm not all up in the pronunciation um that's the extent of my familiarity with him um <laughs> hence my surprise <laughs> but it's a movie that sees a hitman named frank sheeran who's played by robert de niro reflect on the secrets he kept as a loyal member of the buffalino crime family as i mentioned very very long it's about three and a half hours mm-hmm. and very very violent but it is very funny, and there is some interesting aging and de-aging effect that goes on. So as I mentioned, it's set over about, I think it's 40 to 50 years. So we start off with Robert De Niro as about 40, and then he ages to his 80s. And it's it's mostly successful. Um, my one gripe would be that the Bobby Kennedy they had was, wasn't hot enough. What a shame. It's going to be difficult to find somebody who um, is as hot as Bobby Kennedy. This is but true. This, 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 this was unsuccessful. Um, was really great to see Ray Romano in it, though, as a big <laughs> Everybody Loves Raymond fan. I liked that. Mm-hmm. Have you been able to listen to anything while you've been studying, Micah? I have. I have two new albums oh. that came out in the last <gasps> month. 
Both are wonderful. Oh, I'd love to hear about them. So one, Yasmin, you already know about. It's New Ways by Lee Follenbeck. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I talked about Lee Follenbeck ooh, a couple months, many, many months ago and giving you some recommendations. I think it was, was it potentially ago? last year. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. when I was giving recommendations for study music, this was one of them. Um, really amazing folk indie um, Yasmin and I are going to go see him next month together when we are yes, reunited yes. in New York City. Um, ironically, he is a Montreal native and will be playing in Montreal, but his show is sold out, so I will be going to see him in New oh. York. He's playing here. There's one particular song I really liked in it. Is it? Oh, Ap- Appalachian Plain? I'm not pronouncing Appalachian Plain. Appalachian Plain? No, there's two e's at the end, mm-hmm. but I, 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 yeah. The last um, song. That. Yeah, I think that's my fave. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy that one. I really, really like "Hot Tears" and Hot Tears. the and "Transatlantic Flight," which are like the two singles off the album. Okay, um, both wonderful. Um, I have to give them another listen before next month. Yes. Um, the other new album I've been listening to is "Bad Ideas" by Tessa Violet. I think a couple months ago I recommended one some of the singles off this album but the whole album is out now um it's indie pop it's wonderful the first half of the album is upbeat and exciting but if you think about the lyrics too much it gets quite sad and then the rest of the album is just sad um still pop that sounds like my cup of tea. yeah it's great um so top wrecks off of the album are the title track bad ideas um wishful drinking which gets into that like moody pop mm-hmm. kind of I can feel honey yes the little play she did in the title there mm-hmm. and then there's mm-hmm. my last favorite one is bored which is great as well whole album is awesome you can listen to it as like it's short enough that you can listen to it as you get ready in the morning and like bounce around and feel a little bit get ready for the day so feel a little happy sad. feel a little happy sad which is the best way to start your day um yes those are my song recommendations or album recommendations. What about you? Well, I went to see my beloved Blossoms again nice. this month. It was my very first concert in New York, and I had the most fun. Mm-hmm. Blossoms are the best band to have a little dance to, especially under a disco ball in Brooklyn. So I would highly recommend seeing them if you have the chance. And I also caught Johnny Utah that night, who I had never heard of and accidentally stumbled into the room. Mm -hmm. But he is like 23 years old and very, very cool. Very like Mac DeMarco-ish. He has a song called Honey Pie that honestly, Micah, I think you would really Mm -hmm. like because your sensibilities are a bit more modern than mine. And I think this this fits your vibe. Uh, He also has a new one called 40 Ounce. And then they did a cover of Junior Seniors' Don't Stop the Beat, which was so much fun. I did have another very fun concert experience. I went to see a K-pop band. Wow. Yeah, I have never listened to a K-pop song in my (laughs) life. But um, my lovely friend Erica took me to see a band called Super M at Madison Square Garden. Cool. And it was such a wild experience um i've never even seen a boy band live before did you never see one direction like i don't don't even want to talk about sorry i've never seen one direction like i I was hoping we could just skim over that and then 
once we got off the call, I would like spray myself in my One Direction person <laughs> and cry to Midnight Memories. Um, I did purchase some One Direction perfume this month, guys. So just letting you know it's on Amazon and I will give out my address to anyone who's interested in gifting it for Christmas. <laughs> but yes, I've never seen it. I've never seen a boy yeah. band. Um, so the energy was unlike anything I had ever experienced mm-hmm. before. The the screaming girls, the screaming mm-hmm. teenage girls and the the sobbing. I have, I have not witnessed that in person before. And it had a lot of things that shows I go to normally yeah. don't have. So there was, you know, the chore- choreographed dances and there was wardrobe changes. And there was a bit where they kind of went around like passing out little colored plastic balls and people were like freaking out to get the little colored plastic <laughs> balls. And I mean, I normally go to shows where there's like five guys on stage and they'll just wear like jeans and a t-shirt. So this was <laughs> this was different. Uh, definitely an experience. Welcome to this month's segment of the politics segment of the podcast. Uh, this month we're going to be talking about tactical or strategic voting. They both mean the same thing. Strategic voting is used in North America and tactical voting is the term used in the UK which is why we're talking about it. So I think I prefer strategic. I prefer strategic as well. Because the only time I've heard like, well, the term tactical voting makes me think of like tactical vomit. um, (laughs) Like a lot. So it made me think of like, it doesn't work as well. War, but okay. Um, Micah thinks about like big political problems. I'm like, oh, you know the little vomit you do when you've had too much to drink so you can keep drinking? Mm. <laughs> Shows where my lives oh, are. Grim. Um, <clears throat> so, yes. so the definition of strategic voting is when instead of voting for the party you want to win, you vote against the party that you want to lose. So... Um, say you don't want the conservatives to win, you vote in such a way that they won't. Um, So some people say that strategic voting or tactical voting is a way of exercising your democratic rights and playing the system, but other people say that it is a sign that our system is broken. So today we're going to talk a little bit about um, where strategic voting is getting used right now and why it is something that people need to do. So why are we talking about tactical or strategic voting? Um, It's because the UK, who we have kind of sworn off talking about on this podcast, but has come well, up today. Really just their their B word. Just situation. the B word situation. Yes, it's overdone. It is. Um, so because of the B word situation, the UK is having a election on December twelfth. Um, the Tories, aka the Conservatives, did not get enough support for their B word deal, and <laughs> um, Boris Johnson, who is the Prime Minister decided that they would go to the polls and see if they could get more support for their deal. Because currently, um, the conservatives do not have a um, majority in the legislature. Um, So currently, as of November 26th, so we are 18 days out from the election, or sorry, 16 days out from the election. Um, the Conservatives have 43% support, the Labour has 31 and the Lib Dems are trailing behind with 14%, which is trailing mm-hmm. behind, except that's like quite high for them. Um, so 
a lot of people are advocating that people tactically vote in this election to make it so that either the conservatives don't get in or the other side doesn't get in. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later. Um, Before we do that, we have to ask ourselves, why do people feel like they have to strategically vote? Um, To answer this question, we have to get into a little bit of political science. Luckily for you, I have studied this. Yay! Yay! My degree comes in. You may be asking yourself, why can't people just vote the way that they want to vote? Um, And there's two reasons for this. One, um, unlike in America, uh, the UK and other countries like Canada have more than one party. Mm -hmm. So... Um, having more parties, right? Sorry, than two parties. They have a two-party system. So you have, if you're on the left or the right, you might have more than one option of who you want to vote for. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Um, the second reason why people would vote tactically is because the electoral system um, that they're in affects how the vo- their vote is counted. So what is an electoral system? Um, simply put, it's the way in which your vote gets translated into seats in the legislature. Mm-hmm. Um, so how does your voting for a person, a party, um, affect who actually represents you? So in general, there are two types of electoral systems. There are majoritarian systems and there are proportional systems. So a majoritarian system... Um, the way it works is that whoever has the most votes wins. So you could have 33% of the vote, and if that's more votes than everyone else, you win. Hmm. Um, A proportional system is a bit different and runs on the philosophy that the amount of seats in the legislature should be equal to the percentage of vote that a party receives. Um, And so that means that not necessarily having the most votes means that you'll win. And it means that because you, um, they want to divide up seats based on percentage of voting. So what does this actually look like? Because these are a bit like broad concepts. Um, in the UK, which is our example, they have what's called a first past the post system. So the first person to have the most seats wins. So the country is divided up into electoral districts. So that's like where you vote. Um, And in each electoral district, um, each person votes for a member of parliament, and then that member of parliament gets to go and represent them in legislature. Um, Mm -hmm. And they do that in a majoritarian system. Um, So, for example, in this hypothetical electoral district, say the conservatives get 35% of the vote, Labour gets 20%, the Lib Dems get 20%, and then the remaining 25 is split up between other parties. Because the conservatives have 35, which is more than any of the others, they win the riding, despite only having 35% of the vote. Right, okay. So this effect gets aggregated across the country, um, where parties receive... um, seats based on the system in these specific districts so they often receive more or less seats than the actual amount of votes they have like in proportion to them okay okay so an example of this is in the 2017 uk election um the tories received 42.4 percent of the vote and which translated into 317 seats but that is Mm -hmm. actually 49 percent of the seats in legislature um, so they were right, overrepresented okay. because of the system. 
Right. Mm. Yeah. Um, so basically, there's kind of two – there's a couple solutions to this because this seems a little bit unjust, right? Having more representation yeah, right? than um, actual people who – amount of people who voted for mm. you. Some people would say that this is just like the nature of the system. Others um, – think that this is something that needs to be solved. So one way to solve this is to switch to a proportional system. And this is really complicated. It requires changing like the entire system of voting. Um, and that requires a lot of political will and it requires a lot of time. Um, the UK election is on December 12th and they can't change the entire political system and there isn't just, Boris Johnson won't do that. So people come up with this, alternative solution to that, and that solution is to employ strategic voting. So if we look back at our previous example, where the Tories um, had 35% of the vote, um, but Labour and Lib Dem had 20%. People say, well, if Labour, people who voted for Labour and Lib Dem only voted for Labour, then they would have 40%, and that means they would beat the Conservatives. Right. Um, tactical voting then works as a strategy where people look at individual ridings and see who is more likely to beat the candidate that they don't like. It's good to have a short-term solution, but this seems very difficult to get to work on a mass scale, mm-hmm. like to educate the amount of people that are necessary on how to exactly. vote in this way. It seems so very difficult. In the context of the UK, um, People are seeing, as I said, the conservatives are actually quite high in the polls, but Labour and Lib Dem combined have a higher percentage of the vote. Um, And people are arguing, well, all we need to do is to organize people enough so that Labour and Lib Dem votes together and they beat the conservatives in certain ridings. Um, And there's so many different organizations that are trying to do this. So there's um, RemainUnited.org, which is one, Vote for a Final Say, which is another organization. And you can, like, if you Google tactical voting in the UK 2019 election, you will find websites on websites on websites that are trying to encourage you to vote um, strategically. Um, And they do this by looking at individual writings and saying... Using past poll data and current poll data, um, they make an educated guess about who is most likely to beat the conservatives. Um, And this is a strategy that we have seen work in other countries. For example, in Canada in 2015, um, there was this... um, movement called ABC, which was anything but conservative. And some people argue that that is a reason why the liberals, Justin Trudeau's party, came into power. So there's some hope that this will work. Um, Other people are less hopeful. So The Telegraph published a really interesting piece, which we'll link, about um, whether strategic voting or tactical voting will actually be useful in this election. So um, they say that Speaking of the websites that I talked about, um, these sites, however, often disagree with each other, um, can be fairly opaque in how they make their recommendations, and seem to neglect the idea that the other side might be voting tactically too. This can often lead to a certain amount of confusion and romanticism when interpreting the extent to which tactile voting may make a difference. So they are kind of skeptical. Wow, that really sums up a lot of Yeah, so... There's definitely a few problems with it. There's quite a few problems, and you don't really... 
know exactly um, whether it'll work in your writing specifically. Um, and it's a bit like the um, the I know that she knows, but she doesn't know that I know. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, with calculating as they said, they seem to be forgetting that the other side yes. are going to do that as well. And then the other side know what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so they say that in reality, it might be that the tactical voters may cancel each other out. So their analysis found that, yeah. um, I guess one thing we should preface is that the reason why people are voting strategically, we've been so unwilling to say the B word that we forgot this important detail. People are voting based not on a party, but based on whether the party supports leave or remain in. I feel like from what I've seen online, there's also like people, they don't have a lot of confidence in any party. And that's why people are kind of resorting to this tactical voting. There's been a lot of negativity around Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour Party, which is why people are very hesitant to be outright in support of them. So are Mm -hmm. open to options that will just let Brexit not happen, you know, and then be able to, you know, morally say that they weren't supporting certain things that Mm -hmm. um, have been alleged against uh, Jeremy Corbyn and his party. So um, Brexit, I'm sorry I said the word. Um, okay, we have to. We have to. <laughs> we have to. Um, Brexit becomes this polarizing issue and is the re- is the, what is determining how people are voting, at least according mm. to this kind of narrative of tactical voting. So um, hopping back to the Telegraph piece, they say that um, if people use strategic voting or tactical voting, 35 seats, or sorry, 53 seats could go to leave and 55 seats could go to remain, which essentially just cancels each other out. Um it might not actually be that useful. Despite this, the Telegraph has given you a handy-dandy guide of who you should vote for depending on your Brexit desires. So they, for example, they say if you're in Scotland and the SNP won the last, in the last election, so in 2017, you should vote for SNP because it's most likely that they're going to win. Um, what makes this even more complicated and really interesting is that it's not just individual citizens who have decided that tactical voting is the way to go. It's also the parties. So... Oh, the Liberal Democrats, the Greens, and the Plaid. How do you pronounce that? Plaid Chimera. Oh, that's Welsh. I don't know. Is it Welsh? Okay. Um, Certain left-leaning parties have agreed not to um, field contestants in sixty seats, where um, it looks like a uh, pro-Remain. uh, candidate might win. And then the Brexit party, which obviously is pro-leave, has is not running any candidates at all in any of the 317 seats that the Conservatives won in 2017. So what does that so, mean? They're just not having any competition in those areas? They're or? not having any Brexit party competition. So the kind of the idea is, is when you have more than two parties, um, people say that voting for um, the party on your side that doesn't have the most support is splitting the vote. Right, yeah. yeah. Because right. it only takes a majority and mm. um, it only takes a plurality to win. So you have to, you can have like 35% and win that seat. If you split the vote in half, it means that the other side will win. Right, I understand. Yes. Um, and that seems like a bad outcome for many people in this election. So that is strategic voting with a little bit of political science background for you. Um, 
it'll be really interesting to see if this actually has any effect on the UK election, which is happening this coming month. Um, given the fact that the conservatives are quite ahead in the polls um, currently, we'll see what happens in the next 14 days. It's no secret we're fans of young adult fiction on this podcast, so we were particularly interested in following the chaos that quickly developed on book Twitter this Mm -hmm. month. If you don't know what I'm referring to, I hope by the end of the segment you will. So the core figure at the center of this controversy that unfolded in November is Sarah Dessen, who you may recall Micah has spoken of in previous podcasts. Mm -hmm. Many, many times. Micah, what is your... Can you tell us about Sarah? Sarah Dessen is one of the most popular young adult authors in the field, I guess. Um, She has made lots and lots of money off of writing young adult books was very, very popular at the beginning of this decade and the end of the last decade. Yes, she has some very popular books like Just Listen, The Truth About Forever, and Along for the Ride. I believe she has some of these options for adaptation by Netflix. And she has more than 260,000 followers on the Twitter, which is quite phenomenal. So the story really begins when... Earlier this month, Sarah posted a screenshot of an article from the Aberdeen News, which is a local publication for the town of Aberdeen in South Dakota. And this article was reporting on the 10th anniversary of a program called Common Read, which is um, at Northern State University and basically involves the entire freshman class reading a certain book and then um, either the author or someone um, connected to the book would come in and do a presentation for the class. So in this article, a Northern State graduate named Brooke Nelson was quoted as saying of Sarah Dessen, she's fine for teen girls, but definitely not up to the level of common read. So I became involved, and she's referring to the committee that selects books Mm -hmm. here, simply so I could stop them from ever choosing Sarah Dessen. And Sarah Dessen posted this section of the article, or a screenshot Mm -hmm. of this section of the article, With the caption, authors are real people. I'm having a really hard time right now, and this is just mean and cruel. I hope it made you feel good. And not only did her fans rush to um, defend her and tell her everything would be okay, as you'd expect on Twitter, but a bunch of famous authors like Roxane Gay, Celeste Ning, and Angie Thomas Mm -hmm. did too. And that's kind of where the trouble begins. So there was basically two categories of response to this. The first um, is one that I think is, very, is you know, fairly valid. Um, it was people letting Sarah Jessen know that, yeah, it, it sucks to hear something not so nice about yourself. Um, and it's also not so great when those comments are in relation to your work. And, you know, when your work is YA, especially geared towards teenage girls, that is often demeaned already by the mm-hmm. general public. So it it sucks to hear that. And it does play into that narrative a little bit. So, for example, um, Rainbow Rowell or Rowell. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce I think Rowell. Um, I think Rowell. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is a, another very, very popular mm-hmm. YA author. And her response was, F the noise. Which I think is, is fine. Yeah. I think it's good to have a friend tell you, 
not to listen to what others think and that your work is valid. And we actually posted some screenshots of authors sharing messages like this to the DTCBS Instagram because, you know, we believe in uh, lifting up YA Mm -hmm. and I think that's a valid message. I think no matter what the criticism is, um, if it's not something that is actionable and it's maybe not from your target audience, blocking it out and just remembering that you and your work is valid is a perfectly uh, healthy response to that. But there were also some responses that went a little uh, too far. So... Jody Picot said, not only does it suck because Sarah Dessen is one of the loveliest women you'll ever meet, but also because this suggests stories about young women matter less, that they are not as worthy or literary as those about anything but young women, which I understand the point that she's kind of getting at there. As we said, Mm -hmm. YA and in general, anything that's geared towards teenage girls is often demeaned, which is ridiculous. But... The problem is we're missing a key piece of context here. So um, the year that Brooke Nelson joined the committee and had campaigned against Sarah Dessen, in a sense, Mm -hmm. um, was the year that Northern State ended up picking a book called Just Marcy by Brian Stevenson as their common read selection. And um, Just Marcy is a memoir by, um, obviously by Brian Stevenson, (laughs) who is an African-American lawyer Mm -hmm. and a social justice activist from Alabama who actually exonerated a man from death row. And I think it's, you know, Jodi Picot didn't really have the full story here because Sarah Dessen didn't screenshot this, but I think it's a little it lacks um, some intersectional awareness to say that uh, young women are the most oppressed and undervalued um, portion of society when it's really not considering experiences such as an African-American lawyer from Alabama who exonerated a man from death row. You know, it's not fair to say that that book was just picked because people hate teenage girls. That's not It's more complex than that. Yes, for sure. Um, The really kind of icky ones came from um, a YA author named Siobhan Vivian who replied um, and with with the actual words that I'm not going to say because I would like us to have a non-explicit rating on (laughs) but she said, F that effing bitch. Oh, no, I said bitch. I should Well, I, I I beeped myself out on like 60% of the swears there. Anyway, but Sarah doesn't actually reply to this with I love you and a love heart emoji, which was strange. Yes. And then another YA um, author named Danielle Clayton chimed in and said, can I add a few more choice words for Siobhan's brilliance? F that raggedy ass effing B. <laughs> so yeah, I remember it at that time. Like, that's <laughs> just, you know, I hmm. Mm. Um, that was yeah. That's ridiculous. Does does somebody saying they just don't don't want to read your book warrant that? I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, writer Jennifer Weiner also chimed in and said, in a very very bizarre comment, when I tell <laughs> teenage girls that their stories matter less or not at all, there are real world consequences. And then she added the hashtag 
Me Too and linked to a Vox story about why it took so long for the victims of Larry Nasser, who was the um, U.S. gymnastic coach who had sexually assaulted uh, teenage girls mm-hmm. to speak up. And like, in my opinion, that is just bizarre and reaching because I think her that that comment is doing more to damage the Me Too movement than a small college's reading program, let's yes. be honest. Um, and then Northern State University got involved. So on November 12th, they said, and I'm going to read this very long segment, um, we are very sorry to Sarah Dessen for the comments made in a news article by one of our alums in reference to our 2016 Common Read. They do not reflect the views of the university or Common Read Committee. We love young adult novels and we appreciate the broad-ranging impact of YA novels. Our books are selected by our committee made up of students, faculty, staff, and community members. Everyone is welcome and everyone's voice is heard. No one person chooses the book. Having authors on campus is a life-changing experience for our students and the community. Last year's visit by Angie Thomas had an amazing impact and people are still talking about the message she shared. We believe in the power of books to engage in ideas and open minds and we look forward to continuing our efforts. So I just think it's disappointing that the university didn't advocate for its former student um, who Mm -hmm. already at this stage was not only facing all this um, often uh, unbalanced, not in terms of sanity, but just in terms of proportion to her comments, criticism from very famous, very powerful authors, Mm-hmm. But also from the people who um, admire them and are very, very fervent fans of those. Um, their comments had sort of given their fans the license to go after Brooke Nelson and tell her how terrible her opinion was and everything else about her. Um, and especially like when we think that the only reason that this comment was aired in the first place was because Sarah Dessen had to have been vanity googling herself to have found mm-hmm. this quote. There's no way she reads the Aberdeen News. How, <laughs> no. how did she possibly find this? So you know, a lot of Twitter users and journalists began criticizing Dessen and the authors involved in this absolute mess. Um, a user called Hey X Smith said, I'm stunned by the lack of awareness of the power imbalance here, too. A grad student was raked across the coals for out-of-context comments she made by a handful of millionaire authors with hundreds of thousands of followers. This has been barbaric. So, yes, they're, of course, Mm -hmm. saying that it's very self-explanatory. It's not fair for them to um, go after her so publicly like this when Sarah Desson had not given the full context and yes. then that had they had neglected the responsibility they have by having such large followings and had allowed her to they'd made her open to fan criticism then uh Ruth Graham of Slate who wrote a really great article about this that I will link to said Many of Nelson's critics seem to be pretending not to understand that a novel about teenagers is not the same thing as a novel for teenagers and I think that's a good point that not a lot of people have talked about here. Mm-hmm. Sarah Dessen's work is aimed at an audience quite a bit younger than college freshmen. And although Nelson's yeah. quote was quite biting, it does seem to me at least that her primary motivation for joining the committee was to secure a read that was more challenging for the program than one that is aimed at how old are the characters in Sarah Dessen's novels? Like 15, 16 year yeah. olds, you know? Um, 
and as you know graham points out it's not the age of the characters something like little women or um you know is considered a book that can be evaluated by adults but sarah Desson is marketing her books to young teenagers not to grown-ups in college so mm-hmm. i think nelson is valid in in that point even if it was a little bit biting my favorite quote on this comes from our <laughs> very own micah Hahn here um in some of our messages um they were private but i'm going to publicly air because they're a genius micah was saying mm. that um you know it's not cool to diss a book solely because it's geared towards teenagers and the harry styles quote which we discussed in our last episode demonstrates mm-hmm. why that being said, I think with lots of Twitter followers comes certain tweeting responsibility, and it was wrong to send a mob to attack this girl and call her a beep. Sarah Desson is a millionaire who is incredibly successful. She doesn't need to dunk on some young girl who had a bad take that was published in a small newspaper for a small university that no one would have seen if Desson didn't Google herself. Book snobbery is dumb, but not dumb enough to potentially impact your life, which is what calling someone out on Twitter does. And Micah's so right. (laughs) I'm a genius. Yeah. Um, You know, that's what happened was um, Nelson ended up having to delete her social media accounts because of the backlash um, she was getting over these comments that are just, that's not worth you being harassed over. Mm -hmm. Come on. Um, And that's why we ended up deleting the Instagram post that I spoke about earlier because it became clear that uh, this had taken a very different turn than just supporting Sarah Desson and showing support for YA it became clear that you know Nelson's safety was actually in danger mm-hmm. and we didn't want to contribute to anything that could be seen as a, a sickum call so where did this end up well there was some apologies on November 15th mm-hmm. after like three days after Sarah Desson had tweeted something to the effect of thank you so much for all the support she said Two days ago, I chose to post a screenshot of a quote from a newspaper article that was critical of my books. I want to apologize to the person who was quoted. I'm sorry. Like most authors, I hear all the time from people who don't like my work. It's part of the job. With a platform and a following, I have a responsibility to be aware of what I put out there. I know this apology doesn't change what happened, but I am truly sorry. Moving forward, I'll do better. And many of the authors involved um, Mm -hmm. tweeted something to that effect, an apology. And many also deleted their tweets um, that were involved in this situation. So, you know, rather than focusing on this whole, is YA being discriminated against angle? What I kind of wanted to talk about a little bit farther was um, that this is not an isolated incident. The call-out culture is real and Twitter pylons are a really terrible thing. Um, So... There's a couple of examples that I thought might be might be interesting to dissect a little bit. The first involves Lizzo, who I know everyone hates to um, be critical of, but I think we need to discuss something. Mm-hmm. So Lizzo is actually being sued by a former Postmates delivery driver oh, wow. um, for libel, intentional infliction of emotional distress, and invasion of privacy. So in September this year, Lizzo tweeted... Hey, Postmates, this girl, Tiffany W., stole my food. She lucky I don't fight no more. And she included a photo of the delivery person in question. Mm -hmm. And then the next day, uh, Tiffany W. woke up and found saw Lizzo's tweet and then found that tons of fans had had begun to respond to the tweet with threats of violence against her. And she ended up leaving Postmates due to concerns about her safety. So... Lizzo deleted the tweet and posted an apology that said, 
I apologize for putting the girl on blast. I understood. I, I understand I have a large following and that there were so many variables that could have put her in danger. I'm going to really be more responsible with my use of social media and check my petty and my pride at the door. Um, I think the petty and the pride are two things that we can definitely apply to yes. the Sarah Justin case. So apparently, yeah, because essentially with this Lizzo story, apparently um, Tiffany W. hadn't even stolen the food. She had tried to contact a customer named Bonnie V. who had ordered the food. And um, when she ad- arrived at the address, which was a hotel in Boston, she couldn't get hold of her. Uh, tried calling multiple times and left after spending more than 10 minutes trying to contact Bonnie, which was five minutes beyond the grace period allotted by the company. So I just think that's an example of somebody using social media yeah. when they really shouldn't have. Um, it was just, as Lizzo said, petty and really a lack of thought involved there. I don't think there was malice, but I think it was a bit a bit um, silly to, to use Twitter yeah. in that way. Um, there's also another example that I really wanted to discuss because unlike the Sarah Dessen case and the Lizzo case, this one has a completely different um, power dynamic and it involves Taylor Swift and Scooter Braun so if you didn't know Taylor Swift and music manager Scooter Braun have been embroiled mm-hmm. in a bit of a feud for a while now it's very exhausting actually so I'm going to give a very 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 brief backstory because I emotionally cannot deal with it any longer so basically Taylor launched her career when she was like 14 at a label called Big Machine um, so she signed a deal there mm-hmm. when as I said she was just 14 years old and it basically gave them the rights to her music so she completed the contract last year and was looking forward to owning her own music from now on I think she yeah. ended up forming her own label now um, but then Scooter Braun bought Big Machine, the label, and became the owner of her songs. And Taylor was very, very upset about this because she had alleged that uh, Scooter Braun had bullied her for years, such as mocking her on Instagram with his clients Kanye West and Justin Bieber when she was um, at a low point in her career and personal life. And this all then kind of came to a head. I mean, there was definitely a lot of talk about it a few months ago when people were appealing for um, mm-hmm. Taylor Swift to have the rights to her music, but it reached another crescendo this month when Taylor Swift was honored at the AMAs and wanted to play a medley of her old songs, which she was eventually allowed to do, but claimed in a Tumblr post that Scooter Braun wouldn't allow that. And she had um, been directed to stop speaking about both him and Scott Borchetta, who had owned Big Machine previously and signed Taylor. And in this Tumblr post, um, Taylor said, the message being sent to me is very clear. Basically, be a good little girl and shut up or you'll be punished. Other parts of the message included, please let Scott Borchetta and Scooter Braun know how you feel about this. Scooter also manages several artists who I really believe care about other artists and their work. Please ask them for help with this. I'm hoping that maybe they can talk some sense into the men who are exercising tyrannical control over someone who just wants to play the music she wrote. Um, Big Machine Mm -hmm. denied this whole situation. And then Scooter Braun came out with a very, very lengthy post saying, and I'm just going to pick parts of it because, as I said, very, very lengthy. It was like the Irishman (laughs) of Instagram posts. Um, Since So to Taylor, since your public statement last week, there have been numerous death death threats directed at my family. This morning, I spoke out publicly for the first time, saying I wouldn't participate in social media war. However, I came home tonight to find my wife had received a phone call threatening the safety of our children, as well as other threats seen above. I won't go into detail 
I won't go into the details of this past week. I have been at a loss. Thinking of my wife and children, my team and their families, I have gone through a range of emotions on how to deal with this. I write this now only after a deep breath and much reflection. I am certain there is no situation ever worth jeopardizing anyone's safety. I assume this was not your intention, but it is important that you understand that your words carry a tremendous amount of weight and that your message can be interpreted by some in, in different ways. While disappointed that you have remained silent after being notified by your attorney four days ago these ongoing threats i'm hopeful we i'm hopeful we can fix this we are living in a time of pointless violence and as a husband and father i am concerned this is a world filled with toxic division where people express their opinions over social media instead of having conversations in person i want no part in that so similar to the um sarah Dessen and uh lizzo cases somebody um alerted to somebody alerted to the public to another party's wrongdoing mm-hmm. on Twitter. And um, that person was then met with uh, threats. Do you feel this is different to the Sarah Dessen and Lizzo cases? I find this is like reflects a problem with the internet that maybe we haven't like figured out yet. Like mm. it's Taylor Swift should own her own music. Like, that's clear. Yeah, I feel like this one is different because, like, well, number one, the, the problem at the core of it's a lot bigger mm-hmm. than um, a... Something petty. A grad student saying something that they didn't want to read your book mm-hmm. or a housemate's delivery person not delivering your food, mm-hmm. right? This is, like, a career-defining event. Um, number two, you've got like power imbalances in the previous mm-hmm. ones, whereas in this one, Scooter Braun, the one with the power, and Taylor Swift, um, is I guess like the lower status one who ended up calling him mm-hmm. out. So you've got that sort of reversal mm-hmm. there. Um, and then number three, Scooter Braun's being a bit gaslighty here, right? A little, like, yeah. Like he did something yeah, wrong. Like it's, um, Yes, and then Taylor Swift, I think, quite calmly um, was like, I don't know what else to do. Like, please, somebody help me with this. And then he kind of pulled a, wow, your upsetness has now caused problems. Mm-hmm. You, I'm, you're upset that I did something wrong and now it's caused problems. I just think, well, so, the, like, the real people to blame here are the assholes who are threatening his family. Like, he did something wrong, but yeah. no one deserves to yeah. die over some songs. Like, No, and, yeah, and I, I, I feel like that was, you know, not Taylor Swift's mm. intention, but maybe was something she could have considered. Yeah, so I happen. think this is, like, where we're at in this time of, like, are you responsible for the unintended consequences of yeah. your tweets? And I don't know the answer to that. And I don't think we know, like, collectively the answer to that yet. Yeah, it's difficult because, like, social media can be a really useful tool. And it sucks to think that you can't use that tool because some crazy people that you don't know can misinterpret what you're saying and take it too far. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think as well the difference with the Taylor Swift one is that she didn't just use Twitter in the heat of the mm-hmm. moment, whereas I definitely got the impression that Sarah Dessen and Lizzo yes. um, were 
you know, not thinking before they tweeted. Um, they didn't consider their following and the consequences of alerting a large number of people, many of whom you don't actually know, of your mm-hmm. personal problems. Um, and they didn't even consider solving things privately or does it even need to be solved privately yes. because i think in the case of sarah Dessen and lizzo if the only option was solving their cases privately they would they would have just yeah. let it go definitely yeah so i do find the taylor swift one very different um but i definitely think it's it's interesting um to think about mm-hmm. yeah it's I, I don't know i think we're in a really interesting time and as you said i don't have the answer mm-hmm. for it um I only yeah it's not it's not a problem that I I see as going yeah. away. Um so I can only hope that people that it, like it doesn't discourage people from you know in the case of Sarah Dessen from like reading literature well the Sarah Brooke Nelson in the Sarah yes. Dessen case from reading literature or you know caring passionately about literature um you know in the Lizzo case from this uh, girl Tiffany W to just go about her own business mm-hmm. and in the Taylor Swift case from making music I hope everyone can still have um, the courage to to do the things that are important to them and hopefully in time we'll be able to figure out this murky social media landscape Alrighty then that is Different Things Can Be Sad wrapped up for another month Micah what will you be doing by the you know in in the interim i, I, have, I have no, no clue possible idea. Um, not like we've been planning it um will you maybe be hanging out with me in real potentially life? um oh yeah i know i i will be finishing up school and decamping to new york city to write essays yay, yay! and lots of fun and stuff of fun i think stuff. we should maybe record like just what we're doing in december and then like sew it into the pod yes i like this plan you guys are gonna on in in field reporting yes in field reporting we'll bring you reading watching and listening live (gasps) you can hear us we want to listen to things as we sit in the strand yeah this really should have been a private yeah, this should have been a private brainstorm, yeah. but um, it's, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. You've all got a little a little uh, sneak preview on mm-hmm. next month. That's gonna be freaking awesome. Uh, anyway, I hope you all have a fabulous month. Until we hear again. Bye. Bye. Bye.